0: Hello everyone and welcome to Barron's Live, the Financial News edition. I'm David Ricketts, the Asset Management Correspondent at Financial News. Today we're taking a closer look at tech stocks and we've got two of the best placed panelists to help us explore the topic in more detail. I'm pleased to welcome Virginie Mezenuth, the Global CEO for Equity at Allianz Global Investors and Stephen Yeo, the manager of the Blue Whale Whale Growth Fund, which now oversees assets of around £1 billion sterling. Virginia and Stephen, thank you very much for being here today. Very welcome to uh, to this podcast. Um, just to set the, the scene a little bit, um, anyone who's invested in some of the largest tech companies will tell you just how volatile markets have been since the start of this year. If we take a look at the uh, the NASDAQ uh, Composite Index, uh, which is which is very tech-heavy, I mean, this is down by more than 15% uh, year-to-date. Um, and even the S&P 500, I think 28% of which is comprised of of large uh, US tech companies, that's fallen by more than 10% since the start of January. So there's been a lot of focus on the future landscape for tech companies and whether interest rate rises and the high inflationary environment will punish um, some of these companies and bring to an end um, their tremendous growth trajectory they've experienced, uh, particularly during, during COVID. So what we all want to know today is how investors can navigate this environment and pick some of the future winners, whether that's individual stocks or how they can tap into some of the dominant themes that will help tech companies thrive in the future. Um, so I think to begin with, I'd like to ask um, our, our stock picker on the panel, Stephen, um, about um, his experience. Now, your fund, uh, the, the Blue World Growth Fund, isn't a tech fund in the strictest sense, but you have more more than half of the assets, I believe, are in tech companies. And obviously your top 10 holdings have some, some fairly well-known tech names in there as well. Um, Now, we covered, uh, Stephen, back back at the start of this month, how you sold your holdings in Facebook owner uh, Meta and also PayPal before both these companies suffered very sharp falls in their share prices. Um, You you really did uh, manage to escape the the worst uh, of of the the share price falls at the start of this month. Um, You sold out just in time. I think both these stocks are down now in the region about 40% since the start of this year. I wonder just if you can tell us briefly, um, you know, Firstly, how the experience of managing this fund has been since the start of this year with all the volatility we've experienced, but also what, what prompted you to sell out of those two big um, tech names? Um, I think you sold at the end of, end of January, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, thank you David for that. Uh, the So I think on a high level that we are not immune from the market volatility year to date. And I think a lot of our shares has equally been sold off in the market. I, I think if you refer to our, even the, the flagship holding like Microsoft, I mean the shares is down about 10-15% from uh, from the peak but I think one thing that's quite important to us and that's the reason we exited both PayPal and Meta before the results is I think given the uncertainty in the market or in terms of interest rate expectation you really want to ensure your holdings are quite solid in terms of what sort of results they're going to report that they're not going to cause any uncertainty as far as the investor base is concerned and I think if you refer that to the in a Microsoft context based on fundamentals there's no changes even though the share price has been hit. But then equally, if we look at uh, Meta, since they changed the name uh, uh, last year from Facebook, they have spent a lot of money on the metaverse, which we are a believer in some way, but it's just going to take a long time. And we look at free cash flow yield as a valuation metrics. Basically, if you are investing so much money in the metaverse without the cash flow generation coming from this project, which could be years away, then it just makes the valuation not very attractive and it actually killed the valuation. And then equally, I think if you look at the competition, increasing in competition from TikTok and also the changes in iOS 14.5, and that is kind of the headwind to the company. So we, we have been reducing our position since last year and then we managed to exit our entire holding before the results. I think for PayPal is a bit different because I think PayPal has been going on longer in terms of uh, the uh, kind of the competitive positioning, like from Apple Pay, Shop Pay, like there's many more wallets. And but I think the the interesting thing or what triggers to start get, exiting the position is about the rumor deal in Pinterest. We mm-hmm. feel last year that it was. Kind of like a thesis violation if it did go ahead. I mean, luckily it didn't go ahead. But I think what is probably more relevant now is if you look at the track record of the management team since 2015. For some reason, the PayPal has now underperformed the NASDAQ 100 index since 2015, under the same under the management team has been running it for about six to uh, seven to eight years. So I think that's a big question mark about succession planning. And, you, and at the same time, like if there's some changes to the company who whether PayPal is going to head in a similar direction. So I think with that sort of uncertainty, the market is not going to like it. And so we equally exited the position before the results.
0: Mm, okay, uh, we'll move on to, to the metaverse. This is something that's getting a lot of coverage uh, at the moment. And um, we'll talk about that later on uh, during, during this session. Um, Virginia, I wanted to come to you now. and Obviously, there have been some concerns about you know, rising inflation and the impact that this will have on, on some of the high growth tech stocks that have been on a know, tremendous kind of um, growth trajectory um, during the the pandemic, some of these being the biggest winners, the the high growth tech stocks. Um, You know, a lot of concern around inflation and the environment we're going into. uh, Do do you think these concerns are are overblown? I mean, a lot of tech companies, um, a lot of people talking about the impact of of rising inflation on on tech companies, but are are these concerns overblown? I suppose it's it's pretty fair to say that not all tech companies are, are created equal.
2: Exactly, and I mean, remember tech in general is long duration assets. Uh, and, and of course, that's where that uh, raising rate environment has a big impact. However, we have to remember that we're coming from very low rates and in some cases, you know, negative uh, to what is a more normalized rate. So again, the delta is important, but the le- nominal uh, level will be very reasonable. And I think what you what you said is absolutely right, is that, uh, you know, not all companies in the technology sector are created equal. So if we look at what's happened, uh, in, you know, more recently, uh, you can see that semiconductor companies, for example, uh, have been able to raise prices. They have pricing power uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, now, on the other side, if you look at software and service companies, uh, competition for talents, a mix of inflation and COVID uh, means that it's been a little bit more problematic. So so far, it's not had a huge impact, but you can see how uh, investors would anticipate that and 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 anticipate lower margin if this continues uh, for internet companies. Yet, it's been also a different sort of uh, context because. With the global supply chain issues that we've had, a lot of companies reduced their ad, ad, advertising uh, budget uh, because you know what's the point if you can't sell if you don't have the goods to, to sell why would you increase advertising? So I think uh, you know one other factor is large companies probably with uh, more supply chain uh, channels and more people have been able to withstand that. And as you know, there's a lot of innovative. Uh, younger companies in tech and they have uh, been, uh, you know, under pressure. So I think that that's really important. Beyond this, I think you have to think, you know, longer term what's happening. And this is really beyond the inflation. It's it's more about the digital transformation and what I call digital Darwinism and how digital Darwinism, it's really shaping competition uh, for companies and, and you know, it's very important for companies to be agile so remember in 1967 a company life cycle was 61 years uh 2016 24 years and we're expecting it to be only 12 years in 2027 so agility is very important and that digital transformation or digital darwinism is impacting traditional companies who are embracing digital transformation as much as new companies or or tech companies. And there, if you think of sectors that are very, uh, you know, uh, or or very much supported by the environment, uh, you know, I really like data and connectivity, I like climate tech. I like man and machine, if you want, as as uh, sub themes. And of course, we could talk about it for much longer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here and perhaps leave it for for question later on.
0: Yeah, that, that's great. I, I think actually you mentioned it. There's paper you authored on this this idea of digital Darwinism. That's a really interesting point about the kind of characteristics that will um, determine which which companies survive and thrive in the near future. Um, they talked there about sort of semiconductors and having that pricing power. Something to conduct companies having that pricing power uh, to be able to pass those price increases on to consumers. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit as well about the kind of the ways that investors can access some of these themes as well. Um, Obviously, you you outlined a few there. Um, Thematic funds have been one of these areas that have really kind of increased in 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 assets over the last uh, eighteen months, particularly during the COVID pandemic. Um, A lot of assets going into funds that focus on trends like cybersecurity and cloud computing. which thematics might help investors tap into some of those areas you've mentioned? Do you think um, you know, funds that like um, healthy living or smart cities, um, is this kind of an area that the investors can get more involved in if they're looking to tap into some of those themes that you, you've talked about earlier?
2: Yeah, thank you. So cyber, I still like, I mean, you know, cybercrime, six trillion cost to the global economy, double of what it was in 2014, and talk about an area with pricing power, right, in general. But but you're right. I think it's not only about that. We really like healthy living, uh, particularly uh, the healthy living theme in China. Uh, As you know, China is a very large country with a rapidly aging population. Uh, 380 million people are over 65 years old by uh, 2060, 180 million uh, people with chronic disease, and of course, healthcare per capita spending of only about $560, uh, which is one-twentieth of that of the uh, UK, U.S. Well, at the same time, a lot of new drugs are being developed, a lot of biotech companies, and there are more biotech companies now in China than in the U.S. Very rapidly R&D growth, and of course, large market cap in that sector. So that's an area that I really like. Uh, it spans uh, you know, from cosmetic technology to food and nutrition, private health care, elderly care, etc. cetera. Uh, in the case of smart cities, I think in the context of the climate change, uh, you know Challenges that we have, uh, this is a very important theme. Uh, urbanization trends, as we know, have been increasing. 80% of the world GDP comes from cities today, but it is challenging as we expect by 2050, uh, two thirds of the world population living in urban areas uh, at the time where we have, of course, pollution issues, uh, heat issues. I mean, you, you can see the, the whole thing. So uh, we estimate that the the intelligent City ecosystem could reach about $3 trillion by 2026. The areas where we see the most opportunity here, of course, link it to tech, uh, Internet of Things, five, six Gs. Uh, you know, efficiency, vertical farming, uh, sustainability, safety, and security is actually a really, really big theme. Uh, we have a, at, at AGI here, Allianz GI, we have a grassroots research department, mm-hmm. and we've established interviewing a lot of governments around the world that the top priority uh, for governments uh, is linked 89 uh, percent to the improvement of the environment, uh, transportation, and security uh, mm-hmm. So really, really
0: interesting theme. Okay, okay. Uh, j- just remind people that are tuning in live to this. Um, pl- please do send in your questions um, for, for Virginia and, and uh, Stephen as well. Uh, I've already had some questions come through, which I'll come to uh, in a moment. So, so please do send those in. And uh, before I do that, I just want to ask Stephen a quick question as well. Um, just fire up on, on Virginia's point there about um, you know, semiconductor companies and that, that ability to pass on those price increases to consumers. We, we've spoken about this before, I think, Stephen, in the context of some of your holdings. Um, I think in particular, Microsoft, um, a couple of other fund, uh, companies that you hold holding in your fund. Um, just talk me through some of the, the, the tech stocks you have in your fund at the moment that you think will be able to navigate the, the sort of high inflation environment and, and sort of um, fend off some of the concerns that people have about tech stocks uh, more generally. Um, perhaps Microsoft might be a good one to, to pick up on. I know you've talked about their ability to pass on price increases as well.
1: Yep. Thank you, thank you for that. So I think on a high level, if you you look at inflation, I mean how 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 well a company could be protected from inflation is coming from two fronts. I think one is pricing power, which everyone talks about, but then you you have to compare and contrast. In terms of how much pricing power a company has versus mm-hmm. that you can just raise prices to pass on a course. And I think the, the the two companies I would pick is Microsoft, which announced that they're going to re- increase prices by about 15 to 20% last year. It's going to come through in the next quarters. So if you are a user of Office 365, you'll be paying about 15 to 20% more. And then equally, Amazon recently uh, announced that it's going to increase the Prime membership subscription in the US by about. Twenty dollars a year, which is about two dollars a month. I mean, I think some people quoted a number of about. They're probably going to get about two to three billions more, but then the problem for that is then you have to look at the gross margin of the these companies. Like for Amazon, the gross margin on a combined basis, including the cloud business, is only about 40%. So with the price increases, they would need to still pay about 60% of their revenue to external suppliers, which they can't control the cost. And as you can imagine, uh, what's going on in the logistics, the shipping, the importing, the warehouse wages. And if you just ended up paying $2 more per month on your Prime membership, you can easily eat back into the margin. So it's good that they can raise price prices So that at least they're not losing the margin. But in contrast, for Microsoft, the gross margin is about seventy percent because it's a software business. So they could easily end up making more money on the back of that price increases. So a lot of that fifteen to twenty percent increase is going to fall through to the bottom line. While for Microsoft, it's just maybe barely to protect some of the stuff that they would need to do. Uh, in any case, but then obviously then outside of the tech space that if you look at consumer staple sector, like people think about what we think about them being. Quite inflation-proof because they can raise prices. But then, if you think if you follow like Unilever in the UK, they managed to raise prices by about three to four percent. But they have seen a lot more cost increase in terms of how much they need to pay external supplier. The gross margin is about forty percent, and so then net margin has actually come down on the back of inflation. I think these would be the company that you want to avoid. And I think even within the tech technology space, that you probably want to get into a company that has very high gross margin and pricing power as well
0: that's right actually a couple of questions come through already one from uh, Robert and one from Kim very very similar questions uh, probably you probably answered this already uh, Stephen your remarks said but what is the most important factor when we picking tech stocks is it revenue growth or earnings growth and, and Kim asks you know valuation um, or operational characteristics I think you've kind of touched on some of those but um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that
1: yeah i think i think on a on a high level we we i think david you mentioned earlier virginia mentioned earlier that i think that's a lot of differentiation in the market now i think if you follow what happened in the market i think we used to talk about the fangs like if there's the technology stuff goes up like the fangs would do well but now i think the fangs are broken and and the way that you can differentiate the fang is i think one thing to do it is to the the return on investor capital for shareholders over the medium term and then secondly you have to look at the switching course because i think within the fang in itself like netflix is a bit broken i mean they could i mean i'm a user of netflix myself i like the service i like the content but the problem is that is forever inflationary in terms of how much they need to pay for the content so while they can add many subscribers over time but then they would forever need to th- pay the money to acquire new content and it's very competitive and i think what we've seen recently is they have lost some of the subscribers to the competitors like disney plus in the us and hbo's and and there's many others uh, that's going on around here now and then equally i think paypal wasn't a fang but i think it was at the peak it was a 300 billion dollar company it was pretty big now it's about 100 billion plus and i think it's just an alternative out there in terms of payment wallets that we can do There's just many alternatives. But I think then you then compare that against, let's say, Microsoft or Adobe or even like some like maybe semiconductor company like NVIDIA for the GPU units, like you don't have many alternatives. So not only that these companies are already making a lot of money before the pandemic, they make a lot more money during the pandemic. But then post the pandemic, I think we have been quite addicted to some of their product and there's just no... Not many alternatives that we can go and hence it's funny like people don't really know this like they they will say oh microsoft is increasing prices by that much but mm-hmm. i don't think any customers are leaving the ecosystem because i think we are our, our day-to-day uh, life is too dependent on it as a professional office worker yeah
0: that's right um i've got another question coming here which i think is pretty more appropriate for, for virginia i know we've spoken in the past we, we've talked a little bit about the US-China trade war, uh, Virginia. I, there's a question here for, from David talking about the negative, um, I suppose, connotations that are associated with the clampdown on uh, Chinese tech companies um, by Beijing. I, I just wondered if you had any thoughts about how that might um, sort of thwart growth of, of Chinese tech companies uh, at all, or you any thoughts on development of, of Chinese tech companies more generally, um, given yeah. that kind of clampdown.
2: Thank you. Thank you, David. So I think... Uh... When I started thinking about digital Darwinism, that was actually four, four, five years ago, four years ago, and really thinking about the trade war between China and the US. And and that that trade war, in my view, was never about soybean, was always about technology, particularly around uh, you know, the wider application of artificial intelligence because of the massive uh, power that it gives uh, companies and governments and people. So this is why, to me, this is really the defining moment of competitiveness, including geopolitical competitiveness. So I think that uh, guarded uh, attitude in terms of transfer of technology between China and the US uh, will remain. Uh, What this is doing in China is it's actually spurring a huge wave of innovation. Uh, If you look at 6G, for example, if you look at some of the other areas or artificial intelligence, uh, facial recognition, and many, many other areas, China has basically taken upon itself that it was going to to create and innovate as it can't get uh, the technology that perhaps it was assuming it would get, uh, you know, from the US or other areas uh, around the world, uh, as well as also alliances uh, in order to access it uh, because it's just too critical to to its future particularly again when you think of climate tech uh, security cyber security and, and it's really interesting to think of the uh, Ukraine uh, you know Russian uh, you know events right now in light of, of this uh, and, and digital war so I think this is something to stay but it would for a huge wave of innovation again in China.
0: Okay, okay that's interesting. You, you touched on on the sort of UK, UK, Ukraine Russia crisis and we do have a question that came in uh for, from somebody listening here uh, talking about you know, what what course of action should you take as a tech investor you know, given the, the, the current situation uh between Russia and Ukraine is, is it something that you're considering in your in your portfolio or your investment decisions at the moment Stephen
1: uh from our perspective obviously Dan I mean, that conflict is creating volatility in the market in terms of people might be taking some risk off from the market and that would affect some of the share prices. But what what we really focus on is whether that sort of conflict would affect the fundamentals of the company, like the earnings growth trajectory over the next coming years. I think that is not too different to what we have done throughout the pandemic periods mm-hmm. like when when we had the lockdown in in the uk like a lot i think there's a lot of people just t- want to take their money out from the market and hence there was a big sell-off in the market for, the, for a couple of weeks during the pandemic and but then if you then look at what happened to the fundamentals of some of this company like some of these fundamentals not only that they were unchanged but at the same time they actually benefited on the back of the pandemic and then if you do believe the fundamentals over time would with the share price would reflect that, then then I think it's a good buying opportunity in terms of that valuation is cheaper because the fundamentals are unchanged. But obviously what you don't want to do is if the company is being exposed to that sort of conflict and and maybe like if, let's say if you're airline or something which we would never invest into, that... Your, I mean, majority of your cost base is the oil or the jet fuel, and and maybe the oil price would go up to one hundred and fifty dollars. Who knows? And and you that would eat into your profit, etc. And those mm-hmm. sectors or companies that is something that you should avoid.
0: Okay. Okay. We, as as I mentioned on the um beginning of the uh, podcast, that the
1: metaverse is something that's getting
0: a lot of attention. Um, and I, I've spoken to both of you individually about various uh, topics uh, on technology related subjects. We, we've touched on the metaverse. Uh, now Goldman Sachs predicts that they will become a, an $8 trillion market at some point. and I think even BlackRock has identified some opportunities to invest in companies that provide technology or infrastructure around um, the metaverse. Um, Stephen, I, I know I know your, your thoughts already on, on metaverse, so I'll come, I'll come to you in a second. But question for uh, Virginie, I know in your paper, digital divers, and you talk about the metaverse here uh, and particularly the kind of opportunities for companies in the entertainment and education sectors um so, you, so your initial thoughts are you know, will, will this will this take off as a concept and how can investors tap into any opportunities there might be out there at the moment when it comes to the metaverse yeah
2: thank you David. so when i talk about the metaverse i'm not talking about the form b's book I talk about the ecosystem, if you want, of this Web 3.0 uh, environment, uh, with uh, really the combination of the past 30 years of acceleration of technology, the meeting of software, hardware, and platforms, and this explosion of innovation. So think. Think you know, 30, 40 years back, you needed a huge R&D budget. You needed, you know, a lot of things uh, in order to bring your idea to fruition and and deploy them and for them to have an impact. And now, actually, a lot of that is uh, much more nimble, and therefore we have acceleration of innovation around this digital transformation. And to me, the metaverse is, is part of that. So, you know, what is it? It's the 3.0 with the infrastructure that it has, but also the applications that it brings in the ecosystem. And of course, the virtualized, you know, experiences. And when I talk about education or, you know, you can talk about, uh, you know, teaching kids about Roman uh, villages, not in uh, in a book, but uh, uh, taking them on a tour, if you mm-hmm virtual tour, or you could think about driving a car before you, you you start it, or decoration. I mean, you know, that market is worth trillions of dollars. That's really what I'm looking at. Uh, I think that uh, so it's not only about, you know, crypto or, or decentralized finance or cybersecurity, of course going to become more and more important. It's not only about NFTs. It's all about this ecosystem of making it happen. And and you know, I, I think the uh, linear television uh, audience in the US uh, is 11 billion uh, days a year uh, worth of, uh, of TV. If you take just a fraction of that and put that into that virtual experience world, you can see how you can monetize that. And that's really what I'm looking at in terms of uh, experience.
0: Okay, and Steve, obviously, um, Meta or Facebook, the Facebook owner, Meta has spent $10 billion already on developing its Metaverse platform. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this? I, th- I think you kind of a little bit more cautious on the, uh, on the, the long-term outlook on this one.
1: Yeah, I think, the, I think from our perspective is we, we do believe that at some point we would have some form of like a Metaverse, but it could be years away. And the problem or that we saw in Facebook was about the billions that they have spent on it. It's not that we don't believe in the metaverse. It's like whether Facebook could be the ultimate winner that owns one of these metaverses. And I think if you follow what uh, Google or Apple's are doing, which they already won the war in the mobile operating system with ecosystem of all these apps that we spend a lot of time on, that they. If they were to build something in the metaverse which i believe that they are doing something in the background then i think the the, the chances that Facebook could be an ultimate winner is still slightly uncertain. But I think to Virginia's point is, I think it's clear that that 10 billion has gone somewhere, isn't it? And also the tens of billions that Meta is going to spend in the next many years is gone somewhere. So it's probably at the expense of the shareholders. So you probably don't want to, you want to be at the opposite spectrum to be at the receivable end of that 10 billion or the CapEx they're going to spend on it. And I think one stock that we have in the fund or the company that we rely like on the back of this is nvidia so we are not i mean we haven't bought nvidia on the back of the metaverse but if it does materialize i think a lot of these dollars are going to into the nvidia gpu which power the metaverse in the in the virtual reality or augmented reality world
0: yeah okay another question is coming from from one of our listeners uh, from paolo and this is a question for you steven um now given you've recently just sold out of um, meta this i think we probably know the answer already but the question is you know are paypal and meta Now, at at attractive valuations after the sell-off compared to their peers, considering the slowing growth had been taken into account already. So what's your kind of thoughts on on the valuations now, given those sharp um, uh, share price falls we saw?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the outlook is very uncertain. We probably would even uh, make the point that they could be a value trap, like in, even in a really high growth area, which is unusual. But if you follow the fundamentals of Facebook or Meta or PayPal, I think that has not gone better. It's actually gone the other way. In contrast, if you follow the fundamentals of Microsoft, it's actually going upwards but the share price has gone gone the other way. So I think if you really focus on the fundamentals that, yeah, the shares has gone down a lot, but equally, I think the outlook in terms of quality of the business has gone down a lot. And I think unless, I think in the context of Meta, if one day Zuckerberg decide to stop reinvesting into the Metaverse, then I think, yeah, you can argue that Facebook or Meta is really cheap because the core business is fine. I mean, it's not without problems. But then, Equally, if at some point that you can see some signs of the metaverse that Meta or Facebook is building have could actually generate some cash or, or cash flow for shareholders, then maybe you could argue. But I think at this point in time, it's too early to tell. So so you could easily, I'm not saying like you can't trade in and out of the stock, but if you're really taking, I don't know, like a couple of years in investment investment time horizon that you don't actually know what you're buying at the moment. Mm-hmm. As far as Facebook or Meta is concerned. The same for PayPal.
0: Okay. Um, I think we've got time for one last question. I've got a question that's coming from Barry, I think this is probably um, more of a question for um, Virginie. So um, we, you talked a bit about um, Web 3.0 uh, in, in your remarks, uh, Virginie. So Barry's question is, uh, isn't Web 3.0 just going to be dominated or controlled by the largest firms? I suppose the question is, you know, w- which firms in particular will be involved or you know will take advantage of web point web 3.0 and how can firms generate revenue from from this as well
2: so that's a really interesting question because if you go to the uh, blockchain which is uh you know supporting all of this it's all about decentralization Mm. uh so again i think the best way to play it is through uh, that goes into building uh, the the cyber security, the applications etc more than one firm in particular because because of the nature uh, if you want of what's uh, behind it uh, and behind uh, philosophically behind uh, web 3.0 which is really the mobile internet uh, version of the internet and that's that's the third version so yeah that that's how I would answer
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to squeeze in one more question, if I can. Um, this is a question from, from Kim. I think it's probably more more relevant for Stephen. Uh, Kim asks, are there any, any stocks um, that have been the, the kind of biggest beneficiaries of COVID uh, that come to mind, Stephen, that you think will struggle in a more normalized environment? So any, any kind of companies? Yeah I, think who...
1: I, yeah, I think I've I been asked about this before. And, and, and obviously, I think if you follow... Uh, what happened in many companies that shouldn't have traded at the valuation they traded at during the pandemic, um, that I think Peloton, I mean, I'm sure people in the US are quite familiar with that. I think if you look at the fundamentals of the company, they burned over $2 billion of cash in the last mm-hmm. 12 months. And if you look at how much cash they have got on the balance sheet now, it's about a billion left. So I think hopefully someone is going to come in to acquire the company, maybe Amazon or Nike, but. I think it's a fair chance that if no one is coming in like this time next year that the company might not be viable because they have burned all the cash and then if you do follow the company as well that there have been a lot of recourse of the product and i think if consumer knows that this company might not be around or sustainable that they're not going to spend two thousand dollars to acquire a new bike because then this time next year they, the service might not be uh, running anymore so i think if you follow some of this company like firstly what whatever they managed to do during the pandemic wasn't proprietary like i think there's a lot of competition going into the home bike or home gym space as well and i think once then they got the uplift in terms of uh, the sign up then people then go back to the fundamentals like what how what is the switching cost how much how loyal the customers are uh, in your product etc and i think that many of those so i i mean we do believe that we we did have a bit of like a mini tech bubble over the last uh, year or so. And now I think there's a lot of shakeup in terms of some of these companies are actually could be going under because they just not they should have traded at a valuation they were trading at before. So what you want to do is you want to own companies that are at the opposite spectrum of that, that have they have the company that have benefited from the pandemic, like Microsoft, but then they are not going away. And I think we are more addicted to using the product now increasingly with the teams, with the sitting at uh, doing business meeting rather than traveling around. And we are just going to pay the price increases uh, that they're going to uh, do uh, for their products
0: okay well we're going to end on that note Stephen and um, that's all we've got time for for today I'm afraid Um, but thanks very much uh, Virginie and Stephen um, and for our audience uh, for tuning in today Um, we hope you'll listen to our next episode which is actually tomorrow Um, so Barron's uh, senior managing editor Lauren Rublin will be um, discussing the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks with associate editor for technology at Barron's Eric Savitz so hopefully you can join, join in Uh, that call tomorrow. Um, But all that remains to be said is thank you very much for listening today and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you very much. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.